do I still have to redact it, even though you guys are on record? It's called TSSCI. I think I'm a little nicer in real life than I am on Twitter. It's not hard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unredacted. I am your co-host, Emily Brandwin, CIA spy girl on Twitter, and I'm here with my other co-host, Philippe Rhinus. Hey. Hi. Hey there. And today we are very excited to be talking to one of our favorite people on the Twitterverse and in person, Juliet Kayam. Hey, Juliet. Hi. Good morning from California. Which is so lovely that you're in California, and this week I'm on the East Coast we're like, I know. That's crazy. That's how things things are funny. I, I think like I think just continuing the idea that we are the same person, so therefore we're like never in this we couldn't be in the same city at the same time. And the reason I, I'm so glad you brought this up. One of the reasons I definitely wanted to talk to Juliet is every day I get messages either DM to me on Instagram or Twitter all the time complaining about me on CNN. And it's either people don't like my outfit, they're telling me I have a great hair day, they don't think that what I said was really great, that I was off the mark, and I have to then go back, or they say I should have my my own show on CNN and oh, then great it's pretty amazing you've a lot of people think you should have your own show now I always have to then go back and say I, I wasn't on CNN and this woman literally complained to me and yelled at me she said you were on CNN you were on CNN I'm like I wasn't she goes okay you can say whatever you want but I have the receipts and she sent me a video and it was you oh my god that is so funny that's so weird that they would take that they wouldn't remember my name take the effort to figure out who it could be and then get the wrong person. But I'm telling you, I'm so glad that they're going to you because I, I don't like those. They, 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 you know, people are mean. I think I'm, I'm Juliet, so glad that you're taking the, the fire. I think Juliet is looking at her DMs and when they're negative, she's referring them over to you. Exactly. You, exactly. <laughs> it's not me you're talking it's like about. An auto, it's an out-of-office DM message. <laughs> My goal that is, is it, genius. <laughs> at some point, we have to be in the same room and just take a picture because literally, I got an Instagram message or DM two days ago that was about you. They're like, "When are you going to get your own show? You're always on CNN, but you need your own show." I'm like, "Oh God, not again." Uh, <laughs> and so everybody knows. I'm sure many of you all are familiar with Juliet. She is not only a Harvard professor and the founder of Kaim Solutions, and worked under President Obama's Assistant Secretary of Intergovernmental Affairs at the Department of Homeland Security. But she's also that face you see on CNN all the time. And so that was one of the reasons we were so excited to have her. That and because she's sort of my doppelganger on. It's on, true. Yeah, it's weird. Also, a couple other random things. How do you know yeah. Brian, Brian Brian Behar, who is the EP so I on to, Fuller House? Yeah, so I know. Okay, so this is like the weirdest thing. So he's the EP for Fuller House. Um, he has a huge Twitter following. We went to high school to get – well, we there was a boys' school – a boys school and a girls school in Los Angeles. Um, one was Westlake, one was Harvard. They've subsequently yeah. moved. He lived on my street for a couple years and he has like the best memory. So he totally remembered and he, we um, reconnected by Twitter. This is the fun part of, of the Trump administration. Like this is like these random connections that you had long <laughs> forgotten that, that, um, that, you know, come together because of just mutual outrage on Twitter. So that's how I know him. It's so funny because I know him because we obviously connected 
on Twitter how everybody knows people yeah. now. And we've never met in person, but then I had broken a bone in my body because I always break things. I had broken my leg or part of my foot. And I was going to see my orthopedist. He had also broken something, was at the same orthopedist. I'm driving out looking. I'm like, that's Brian. He's looking at me. We're oh doing the slow pass. And then finally, I just DM'd him. I'm, I said, I'm stalking you in the parking lot. I'm really, really sorry. Are you Brian? And did you break something? Are you at my orthopedist? He's like, oh, my God, that's what I was wondering. I thought it was you. So I. That is such a, that's such an L.A. story, the orthopedist of course. Yeah, I mean, Twitter. I like that story. <laughs> I, if, it felt a little ridiculous and a little LA, but I was, it was hilarious. I was like, that's gotta be him. And two more things before we talk about really heavy things. Oh, um, okay. I know, but it's I your fun doing this. I know, but it's your three favorite things. It's, I love that you said your three favorite things were you're now a Harry Styles fan. Yeah. Uh, so Philippe is really mad at me at my choice in in um, in men. So I'm you know happily married multiple years, but but I get to have like you know what what is it the the timeout your you whole people that if if I, so Philippe doesn't like my taste. I'm not going to say who it is, but he just he he mocks me of my taste, which I think is good taste. But I have moved on. I was lucky enough to get tickets. For my daughter and I to Saturday Night Live this last Saturday, which ended up also being like the you know the first Saturday Night Live during the for the impeachment hearing, yeah. and um, and so I picked her up. She's at college now. I picked her up. We had this wonderful night, a day and a night in New York City, and so I had heard that Harry Styles, who like as a mother of three kids, you know, you know. He's always one direction. He's always, you know, prepubescent 13-year-old, right? Yeah. And so I'd always, you know, so I had heard Harry Styles was going to be, I was like, oh, my God, what a loser. Like, this is so lame. And I had sort of not kept track of him. And then <laughs> my daughter says, I am a little bit like a cougar right now. So he's now no <laughs> longer 13. We've all aged. He is remarkable. I mean, he's great looking. He's, you know, he's terrific dancer. But he's... um a terrific entertainer. So I, I'm now slightly obsessed with Harry Styles, even though it puts me firmly in the cougar camp. He's adorable. And I, can we just go back? Why was, Philippe, why are you not happy with Juliet's list? Where, why is there judgment? I'm happy. No, I, I'm happy that she shifted to Harry yes. Styles. Although I'm, as I'm not a prepubescent 13 year old girl, I don't really know much about him, except he was in Dunkirk. Um yes. It was her previous favorite. Who was the previous favorite? Uh, it rhymes um, with it rhymes with Idris Elba. Oh, that's yes, a good favorite. I know. Who, I know. I know. He doesn't like it. What? I'm just not. I understand why every woman in the world what? is a fan of his. I'm yeah. just not. You're just not feeling it. With the exception, I liked him in The Wire. Okay. Everything else he's done, I, I've not seen the Luthers. That the other thing he's done. Yeah. Every other thing that I have seen is just terrific. Whether it's Obsession, which I watch every time it's on. Um, he just seems like a bit of a jackass. I suggest you skip Cats, the musical, which I will be seeing when it comes out. Ew, I'm, is he in that? That looks creepy. I, you know, um, I've dealt with a lot of icky things in my life and my career, but seeing Cats seems somewhat ranking as a very uncomfortable and slightly eerie <laughs> experience. Um, this is where the interview goes poorly, Juliet. I'm a huge fan. He took a year off to become a mixed martial arts uh, fighter. And I just, that is always a tip off. 
He's he's full of himself. Anyway, anyway, I, I was congratulate curious. you anyway, on your on your um promotion. My, uh, my uh, growing up, growing up by going down. Oh, that oh that came off really weird. Going you growing up by going after a twenty year old boy who had been in a in a boy band. I like that. I like that. That's my maturity now. Now he's really good though. I have a question, Philippe. Do you have any judgment over the fact that Juliet loves Hallmark movies? Like loves? No, but you know what's interesting? My mother does too, and when she visits, it's always the same thing. What is Hallmark Channel? Yeah. But do you know yeah. that, that Hallmark has a very conservative bend to it? Yeah. It's very popular in uh, red country, and it's very subtle, or it's either not subtle and people don't care. But that's to me, it's it, to me Hallmark is one step away from Fox News. Oh come on! Oh my God! So what? Listen, um, you there is there is no pre-marriage sex, from what I can tell. No one has no. sex before marriage, or at least some form of major commitment, um, which is a statement in and of itself. the The genre I like is the the the. The widowed, handsome <laughs> firefighter who, who, you know, nothing, you know, never going to love again, has a daughter, presumably, great dad, and then the had to move from New York because her father is getting older and she needs to take care of her dad in the small community where the firefighter is. And they hate each other at the start and then by the end. They're 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 in love. That's my favorite genre. It's um, also that's also I, Newt Gingrich's no sex, favorite. No sex before marriage. What? That's also Newt Gingrich's favorite genre. <laughs> and, and but Julie, Emily has a Hallmark story. I do. I just wanted you to know that um, if you were you ever did you ever watch Dawson's Creek? Either one of you guys, Philippe, Juliet. I, I would never admit. I don't. It. I I don't think I did. Okay. Well, that's the one with Katie Holmes, right? It was with Katie Holmes. Mm. And the mom in that, her name is Mary Margaret Humes. And because I live in L.A., it's a very L.A. story. She's a very good friend of ours. And she's been in literally the last five Hallmark uh, movies. So if you're, a friend, if you're a fan of A Feeling of Home, Winter Love Story, Christmas in Love, Home by Spring, or I think there's one other one, you have seen my dear friend who also videotaped my wedding. And she... Literally, oh. It was very sweet. She's a bit of an actress, so she came in with five cameras and said, don't worry, you won't notice me. I'll be really unobtrusive. I'll just have five or six cameras at your wedding. We knew she was everywhere. But she is my, she's my connection to Hallmark. So I, if you come out, I will, I will get you some good Hallmark dirt for oh, you. Oh, good. Uh, I, I would like that. I feel like there's a whole, and well, as Philippe suggested, a whole underbelly of the Hallmark genre that, that, I, that needs to be exposed. I'm it, like brainwashed. I'm like a Fox News watcher brainwashed. It, uh, <laughs> it only lasts. It only lasts about six weeks a year, so we're all good. There is one to our third most important topic yes. today. There is one taking place in uh, in uh, uh, Dollywood, um, uh, Tennessee. I think in two Sundays, Dolly Parton ha- does a song, and it's a love story based around uh, the Smoky Mountains. Thank you. That's your third favorite thing is Dolly Parton. I do. I but I this is not like a new thing like oh like I have actually <laughs> I I took my family on a family vacation when we lived in DC when I was working in the administration to the beautiful Smoky Mountains but it had to include a 
visit to the amusement park Dollywood, which was fantastic. And Philippe, to your point about the subtleties of Hallmark, this is the subtleties in the opposite direction, like very <laughs> inclusive, you know, sort of accepting of everything. I mean, she does her inclusiveness in her way um, and um, have just, you know, been a huge fan of hers and the music, obviously, forever. I'm a big country music fan. And so, um, uh, so she, I just have to say, for the record, she favorited two tweets of mine about her this morning. This morning, people, this is breaking news. Forget impeachment. This is breaking news. Well, I, I, I think she happier. maybe she thought she was favoriting Emily's tweets. <laughs> no, no, no. Emily's not on these. Okay. Emily, oh, I got really I excited it. for a second. That was so subtle. That was so subtle. I didn't quite get that. But yeah, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha, you, buddy. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no one. No one mistakes us. Um, anyway, anyway, so those are, that's me in a nutshell. That's about as exciting as it gets. A, re, a, a favorite from Dolly Parton in my life. That's pretty exciting. Well, I wanted I wanted everybody, because I know they see you all the time on TV, to see a different side of Juliet before we start digging oh. in to all the other stuff and the world falling apart and all those sorts of fun topics. And I thought, what better way to do that is to first talk about Harry Styles. So Good. I'm so glad. No, it's fantastic. <laughs> so now we have to talk about horrible stuff. Yeah, yeah we, we kind of do. I'm so sorry. Okay. Although it okay. it hasn't been so horrible. No. I mean, in the scheme of things, it's less horrible yeah. than a month ago or six months ago, and hopefully, or yeah, imagine if we didn't have the house. I know exactly. Or imagine if this whistleblower didn't drop this gift into everyone's laps. Yeah. Because if you remember, right before then, we were pretty much, you know, Up on a Schitt's path Creek. done. We were on a path to not doing anything. Um, right, right. Have you been uh, – I know you're out west and you're doing something about – is it Return to Paradise? Is that the Bachelorette Yeah, thing? so – well, it's <laughs> I'm doing a series um, – so I do CNN, you know, and that's great. Um, uh, um, but I am hosting a series um, that is called Aftermath, which is goes back to these communities that have been devastated um, by um, – uh, some climate change incident and sort of what does it mean to rebuild in an age when the disaster is likely to happen again? So just as a little wonky aside, I, you know, I teach in Homeland Security. This is my field, but you know, we used to always sort of invest in, Oh, we got to get that community back and, you know, let's invest in getting them back to where they were. And, you know, Boston strong and New York strong and, you know, paradise strong. I'm sitting in a pocket parking lot in a, at a cafe in paradise and there's signs everywhere. Paradise strong. I just think the question now is, you know, some of these places do, it, it makes no sense to, to, to return. That the idea of managed retreat in an age of climate change, whether it's from fires or I was just in the Bahamas for the series or, you know, wherever, is, um, is something we have to be realistic about now. That the sustainability of how we live, we're at that moment now. Paradise will suffer from fires again. So I'm I'm hiding in a car saying this because I'm about to be with people who are all committed to rebuilding paradise. But it's just an important. I was about to say that's, to that's an incredibly rational uh, view, and I'm sure yeah, no one, I'm sure no one wants to hear it out there. I was right. So manage retreat. I mean, it may be, you know, it, it, well, the scary thing or the difficult thing is. The insurance companies are making this decision for people, right? In other words, if they're they're going to start to insure people out of living in certain places, the problem is is that you have no government 
oversight of this. So, you know, while the insurance companies may be rational in their risk assessment, I would like some, you know, state or local government influence over it so that insurance companies essentially are not the ones that are sort of driving our built, you know, how we think about the built environment. So in the vacuum of just like, Philippe, what are you saying? Like, it's really hard for governments to discuss this, to tell people they cannot move back. It's, you know, managed retreat is, you know, Cuomo's doing it in New York. It's really hard. Um, uh, the vacuum is being filled by insurance companies who may be, one could argue, are, more, are, are less sentimental about risk assessments than government, which is maybe not a bad thing, but they're also less sentimental, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's, you know, having an insurance market drive are planning. So it's just a really interesting area as part of Homeland Security now that, that I've had an opportunity to, to, um, uh, to sort of dig in. I love CNN. I lo I'm really lucky to have lots of media platforms, you know, with the uh, NPR affiliate. I do a, a, a segment every week. I'm really lucky. But this is sort of the, you know, after the madness of this, this moment in our life, you know, there's, there's going to be so many systemic issues that have gone unaddressed so it's a, it's nice for me to be able to have this platform as well. well I want to pay you a compliment and then ask yeah. you a question. So the compliment is, you know, I watch an enormous amount of CN, CNN. Yeah. I imagine a lot of people listening to, to this do too. The true sign of being great on television is when the network lets you Skype in from your like yeah. living room. That is a real <laughs> rarity and you take advantage of that every time and it's it's like yeah. it's the holy land of being a guest yeah um, no it's it's great i mean i'm you know i'm people ask about sort of seeing you know i'm in boston so i'm sort of at a you know i'm not in the studios i people always say like what's don lemon like you're on with him so many times it's like i don't i mean i've met him maybe half a dozen times when i'm in new york it's just a different thing being in boston but i am you know unfortunately um, I'm not doing a lot of impeachment stuff, mostly because obviously it's a legal and political thing, but because it is in D.C. I, you know, and I have a life up here. But, but um, you know, there was a major shooting last week. Yeah, that 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 that's when I get the calls. Um, and so it's it is funny that my office. I re I really should redesign at my home office. And what they generally do is they say do Skype while they because we don't have a permanent CNN studio up here and up up here I'm in California but up here and up in Boston so then they they get the satellite studio ready and then they'll say okay get to the studio so it is they we have it down to an art form unfortunately those moments of the active shooter or whatever else are quite common now so that's a challenge too well let, let's take a step back for a second because yeah you have a very specific expertise um, yeah. that dates back to the Clinton administration. Is that mm -hmm. a good, is that a good uh, yeah. bookend working for Janet Reno? Yeah. So I, um, I started off as a civil rights attorney. So I was, you know, and I'm was, um, you know, I am consider myself progressive in this day and age. Maybe I'm less progressive than others, but, um, you know, believe in the rule of law, you know, believe in, in, uh, um, uh, uh, that government has a role in promoting accessibility and start off as a civil rights attorney was a litigator. I was one of these career people that you're seeing on TV. I was not hired as a political, um, got in through an honors program out of, out of law school and then 
um, went, uh, was litigating cases. So I was going, you know, I was 25 years old, just like going throughout the country litigating cases, civil rights cases on behalf of the United States. I thought that would be my career. But what happened is after Oklahoma City and then, which was obviously domestic terrorism, but then, you know, we had already had the first World Trade Center bombing. We then had the um, uh, the Africa Embassy bombings that were led by bin Laden, and then you had the USS Cole. The um, Congress had authorized the Attorney General to have sort of more powers than uh, she had before on some of these counterterrorism cases. Those of you who remember Janet Reno, those were powers that she was sort of intrinsically uncomfortable with. She had been a, just a local DA. Um, and so while the FBI was sort of asserting some of those powers in some of these counterterrorism cases, she asked me to come in as a civil rights attorney as sort of the naysayer. So I got into national security as the sort of skeptic, like, you know, I was to review what the FBI was reviewing. I was, you know, a little bit like an in-house, you know, um, inspector general, right? And so, uh, but sort of got firmly ensconced in national security and counterterrorism stuff. Um, life happens, lots of things happen. I was appointed to a commission on terrorism, the National Commission on Terrorism, which formed in uh, 99 to assess the threat of bin Laden, was serving on that. I say life happens, ended up, you know, getting married, met a guy who got a teaching job up in Cambridge um, at Harvard, and so um, was, um, was in counterterrorism, serving on the Commission on Terrorism. Our report came out in early 2001, was pregnant with my first, um, was on maternity leave. She was born August 3rd, 2001, was planning on taking the rest of the year off. I had no job, was planning on taking the rest of the year off, um, and then sort of figuring out what my life would be like in... Um, Boston and in Cambridge as a as a working mother and thought there's no there's no growth industry that sounds horrible in counterterrorism and homeland security obviously then five you know five weeks after Cecilia was born um, everything changed for everyone and so became um, uh, became much more you know obviously you know lots of things happened to everyone but um, um, that became sort of my career, but it's morphed a lot. I mean, I like to say about my career, it's, I say, I say I have one career, many jobs. So, you know, I do a lot of different things with, um, uh, you know, fortunately a faculty position at Harvard, but I get to go in and out of government, state and state and federal and the media stuff and, you know, corporate advising and, and companies and stuff. But, um, uh, but really think less about terrorism and what, we in my space call all hazards, which is um, which is looking at all threats that could face the homeland. That's why I was talking about climate change before, whether it's cyber, election interference, terrorism, um, pandemics, um, uh, climate change, uh, 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 and really um, not just focus on counterterrorism. So that's sort of the trajectory of of sort of both my intellectual and professional life, you know, since nine eleven. You know what you should be doing. What? You just listed the resume for one particular job in the U.S. government, and it's one of the cooler jobs and one of the most important jobs. It's a four-letter word. It's an acronym, and it rhymes with FEMA. You would be <laughs> a great FEMA director. <laughs> um, well, can we please win? Um, 
uh, let's win. I would like to go back into government at some stage. My kids are older, and and therefore life is life is both easier and more 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 complicated. So I'm just focused on um, making sure that 2020 uh, does not have the kind of election interference that I fear. Um, and listen, that, listen to these uh, talking that points. That a Democrat wins. What? She's she's focused on being a mom. She's focused on doing everything she can right now to help the elections. That is yeah, the you. most. That is the most political I've ever heard you be. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> I was going to ask you, would you go back to if when we win in 2020, would you go back and work for the government? What would your dream? Oh, my dr- God, you guys. I don't know. I mean, who, who's what? the president? I'm just saying, do would you do them? it? You know, does, you know, is Philippe going to like me or not like me? I'm, I'm counting on Philippe He's gonna to like put, you. put me in a good position. Um, I'm washed so up. I, I, my, my expiration I, date was... Uh, Shut November up. November eighth, twenty sixteen. He's full of shit. You I would know, go back to if Philippe, if you got no, I, I mean would... in terms of helping anyone else get a oh. job. Yeah, I would. Um, I would uh, <clears throat> like everyone else. I would. Uh, I would like to serve my country again, but in when and in what capacity, um, I'm not thinking about right now. And that's that's actually not political. That is like literally, you know, th- this is. Um, yeah, this is, as we all know, a, a moment of reckoning for for this country and what we're seeing unfold, um, you know, on air right now. Well, there's going to be a real thirst for restoring um, these government agencies that are so important to keeping yeah. it safe and anything else. I mean, you spend time at uh, Department of Homeland Security, which has, you know, taken a particular hit to its reputation um, based on, you know, first John Kelly being secretary and then uh, yeah. Kristen Nielsen. Um, it's an important agency. It's one of the, the most significant steps that was taken after 9-11, consolidating so many uh, various uh, previously separate agencies into one, into one huge behemoth. And mm-hmm. um, it's been kind of sort of decimated in a way. It's become known for... One thing, it's become known for separating kids from their parents. Uh, The immigration aspect, as important as it is, has taken over the public perception of every part of its responsibility. So people like you are going to be a real premium. I mean, (coughs) I don't know if you have any interest in going back, (coughs) but, you know, I could put a good word in with, you know, Mayor Pete or Senator Warren or Vice President Biden. Yeah, so I, look, I mean, the way I think about it is is, um, I mean, this is how I teach it, is that uh, Homeland Security is about, so most people don't know what Homeland, most people think about Homeland Security now in terms of family separation or the TSA agent, but it's actually a sophisticated um, series of policies that, you know, that people like me have been thinking about a long time, and I teach about, and I write about, and, and, um, and that's sort of unfortunate what's happened to the agency so unlike sort of what you see at the state department now like there's an ideal of the state department that we know we're faltering from for dhs that's not true like no one actually knows like there's never been a moment in which it's the agency that um that that people have confidence it works and so the way to think about for your listeners is homeland security is the security part is the easy part in a nation like ours um um what we strive for is what we call the secure or what I call the secure flow of people, goods, ideas, and networks. That it's that, it's that uh, dual 
um, need of secure flow. A country like ours needs people going in and out, networks going in and out, ideas, goods and commodities. I mean, whenever Trump you know, threatens to close the border, right? In Mexico, I'm always the one on air, if you remember, saying there's no freaking way he's going to close it because Texas won't allow that, right? He's not going to lose Texas over closing the border. A million people cross that border every week lawfully. A billion dollars in commercial activity crosses that border a week. Like this is, these are, these are not insignificant numbers, right? And so, um, so if people can start to think about, wow, this is, you know, this is, it's hard because we, we want to, we want to be safe. We'll never get the risk in a country like ours down to zero. So how do you talk about that, right? What are acceptable risks in the homeland? Um, but we also have to promote flow. And, and what's happened with family separation and the wall and everything is we're thinking about homeland security solely as a, as, as an immigration agency, which it's not, it's got a lot of different mandates, but also as, um, as a um, as a as a stop rather than a flow, and that's just the, that's just a st- it's a stupid, um, uh, unsustainable way of thinking about it. Um, but the way that at least for now it will be thought about until a new team comes in and just sort of recognizes, wow, like America's America will never be at zero um, in terms of risk, and we have to look at everything like white supremacy to pandemics and vaccinations and everything else, but we can be better at reducing that risk. So that's how I think about it. That's sort of, you know, on the intellectual policy side, what I promote and what you've seen is just a totally different approach to it. Um, uh, so that that's an agency that is going to need, like you sort of feel like if the State Department, if you got a new Secretary of State, um, the, the, you know, you, you it, I mean, you've lost a lot of legacy people, but you know, very talented people will be running to that department to fill its ranks. Homeland Security, I'm just not convinced that's true because do you really want to work at the agency that separated children from Well, you also, you made an interesting point in that DHS is so young that it didn't have a reputation so set in stone like the State Department to kind of bend back to. I mean, people are obviously familiar with the Secret Service, they probably right. have no idea the Secret Service is part of DHS. So, you know, its component agencies are hardly obscure, but there are so many of them that, again, yeah. it's yeah. this rotating spotlight of which is, you know, in the in the sun, and right now it's unfortunately the wrong one. And, yeah. and it's also because there's, look, it's not that it's the wrong one in terms of a priority. That's a matter of policy debate. It's the wrong one in the sense that I mean, it's huge, isn't it? Like something 300, 400,000 people in total, DHS? Yeah, it's it's about 270,000, most <clears throat> of them uh, border. Like, you know, it's, it, you know, it's got these big agencies like TSA and, and CBP. So it's a huge agency. Right, so you have, you know, you have 300,000 people that are being, you know, perceived as separating children yeah. from their parents when that's hardly what's going on. Well, this is the first time it's had right. an identity, and unfortunately, this yeah. is the identity. Did, but it was starting right. to. I mean, I mean it, it was starting to, but it was, you know, definitely, and it's, you know, it's obviously should be at the forefront of election security as we head into 2020, but you yeah. don't even hear about its role then. And so, um, you know, I mean, I my, you know, I don't go on air a lot about impeachment, um, but my feeling, I've changed on this be- from the Homeland Security perspective. And to be honest, like, 
like I love Ukraine. I love these specialists. Fiona Hill is testifying now. Like it also, you know, it's a it seems like an amazing place. It was described as scrappy today. I love that. But you know, for someone who thinks about homeland security, like you know, at some stage, would can someone just stand up and say he was rigging a U.S. domestic election? Like I feel like that narrative is just getting lost in the Ukraine is an important foil against Russia aggression. Like I get it, but really, in the end, uh, you know, to quote them, like Trump doesn't give a shit about well, some Ukraine. of the more. Like, I think some of the more. You know, important. and I feel like that narrative is getting getting lost. Like that that. Whatever, like all these people talking about Ukraine's important interest in national security is like, you know, I like we're talking about Donald Trump here. Like he doesn't care about national interest. No. He wanted to win an election. And whether it's by voter suppression in Texas and Florida, which they're trying to do, or, you know, bri- uh, you know, uh, bribing uh, Ukraine, he's going to find any illegal means to impact uh, or any means to impact the U.S. domestic election. So I just, uh, you know, I just, I, every once in a while, if I watch too much of the of the, of the the impeachment proceedings, I kind of want to go like, can we just start talking about the home team? Like, I get Ukraine, I love them. You know, Scrappy, love them. But this was ultimately, this was no different than Watergate in many respects. Well, it's also, I mean, watching the hearings um, has been somewhat uh, reassuring in that, you know, you have had a series of people come forward and say, look, everyone, Ukraine had nothing to do with 2016, yeah. whether Def- it's Fiona Hill and not related to the impeachment hearings, but connected enough was Tom Bossert, who worked in the White House, who was Homeland Security Advisor, mm-hmm. just flat out saying these, this is not true. Now, there's no one in history who's ever believed in a conspiracy theory who has then reassessed it and said, oh, I see the difference. But it is it is good um you know in this larger crash course we're all getting in ukraine that some of this comes up i mean it's unfortunate this wasn't like australia or something we could all it'd be a lot more fun to like hear about the background of kangaroos and and you know canberra yeah do you think people really believe in the conspiracy theory or do you think that they are just are going with this at this they, point? Because yeah. I, I don't think, think anyone believes no, that Ukraine has anything to do with it. Like I don't I, think that's. I mean, I don't know who anyone is, but I think people who yeah. I don't think watch Nunes Fox or any they of absolutely believe but, it. And the thing that <clears throat> you know, not to go down the rabbit hole on this, but the thing that shocks me the most is when people, uh, when Trump supporters blow off any kind of care about the election interference yeah. with the rationalization yeah. of we do it to others. Which yeah. is oh my god! Uh, but I have lefty, I have lefty students who do that, and I literally like kind of want to like kick them out of class. Like I'm like, do it. You've got to be kidding me! But the, I mean, the thing we also I, drone other people. I yeah. mean, I, it's not like everything yeah. we do. I understand the very hoity-toity Upper West Side <laughs> of Manhattan concept of it, but when someone from Oklahoma who you know is wearing a MAGA hat who says, look, we've done the same thing. I mean, are you kidding? Or, or, or they say it's just Trump being Trump, so mm. let's just let him do it. To me, is the other excuse that I don't even understand or can't wrap my mind around. But I don't. Do you think anybody in the government, or anybody in Congress, actually believes this conspiracy theory? Absolutely. You think Steph? You think no. that Nunes? No, no. I don't no, think they no, do. No. I mean, I think I, I think, think it's they the are point where you fed. convince yourself. You think Jordan and Nunes yeah. and yes. Stevanik? Oh, I don't. Yes. See, I think that they know I that they're peddling so. 
bullshit at this point, but they're so far deep in it that they can't get out, and they're so afraid they're going to look like just uh, total. I, you're giving them too much credit. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, maybe, but you know, I, I will say. So I switched on impeachment. I was definitely of the of the um, Nancy Pelosi's pacing is right. We shouldn't do this. Just get to the election. But um, I mean, two things. The Ukraine Ukraine stuff's changed my mind for two reasons. I mean, one is obviously he's not playing fair in 2020. So the idea you're going to rely on an election that will not be fair seems ridiculous. But also, at this stage, I see no other deterrence of him. I mean, in other words, we're, we're doing the, the impeach, impeachment proceedings are the equivalent of naming and shaming at this stage, right? So, so we do that in cyber attacks. We'll name North Korea or whatever. This is what naming and shaming looks like. I don't give a damn what's going to happen in the Senate. So the whole, like, will the Senate change? To me, the process of what's happening these last two weeks and, and the weeks ahead is actually the counterintelligence action, right? It is, I don't care what happens in the Senate. And I've, I've been pretty forceful on that, that, that I'm, the gaming of the Senate is just ridiculous to me. This is our counterintelligence um, uh, effort. This is it. We're watching it on CNN and C-SPAN and everything. And so, um, and so enjoy the ride, right? I mean, this is – so anyway, that's my sort of counterintuitive theory well, there's also, of what's happening. No, I don't think that's counterintuitive at all because, I mean, you know that I have been someone who has been pro-impeachment yeah. from the very beginning despite pretty clear or unknown political costs to everyone involved. But part of it is, yes, nothing sticks to Donald Trump. He gets away with murder, whether this is the thing that gets him or something else down the road. It doesn't really matter. The people around him are as horrible, and yeah. they're the ones that are pushing the levers. And you know what? They do get scared about stuff like this. Yeah. The worst yeah. thing that happened when Mueller, when they perceived Mueller as giving them a clean bill of health, wasn't that Trump was emboldened because he was already emboldened. It was all these folks that were paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for lawyers who weren't sure what they – they didn't know what they didn't know. And they were all back on their heels, and then they felt like they got away with murder like he did, and they yeah. got emboldened, whether it's his campaign, whether it's his <laughs> hangers-on. And this is important because this now resets it to a lot of people thinking, you know what? He's going to live, but look at the people around him. They're not doing yeah. so well. well not, right. And he may not live. He no, may not, I mean, right. given the— Oh, okay. Uh, know that this has just been um, fantastic, and thank you for letting me talk about Homeland Security that does not involve family separation, because that will end, hopefully. Um, and um, and you'll see me in my office soon, right? So, because inevitably there's going to be a school shooting, and uh, um, but this is great. When is your PBS show? When can people start watching this special? So it's uh, we already have one up, and it's um, so it's a digital series, and they can you can find it on YouTube. Just type in my name, and um, we did a first one in Baham in uh, uh, in the Bahamas. Um, this one probably in the next two weeks. They're they're really um, I you know I'm old school. I still have cable, but like the whole streaming thing, like they, these are doing incredibly well. And um, I'm working with Miles O'Brien, who a lot of people will know the big science reporter from cnn and news hour and stuff so he's in the front seat as i am in the back seat finishing up this podcast and so he says hello well i you know i've been a huge miles o'brien fan going back a long time yeah and he's had some interesting <laughs> experiences and yeah uh, 
Well, we are. Yeah, he is. He's amazing. Um, but thank you, you thank guys. You. This is fantastic. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. And I just want to make sure that everybody knows they can follow Juliet on Twitter at Juliet Kayam. And that's Juliet Kayam, not at CIA Spy Girl. So when you see her on exactly. CNN, it's Juliet Kayam. And thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited. We oh, wanted guys, to chat with you thank forever. Thank you so much for your flexibility with my schedule. This is great. And I look forward to hearing it as well. Thanks so much. Thank you, Juliet. Bye. Bye.